Hey, good morning, Hillcrest family. Hey, there's a game going on this afternoon. You might be aware uh, this evening, correct? Yeah. Neither your team or mine is participating, so I figured I'd celebrate today a little bit, mourn. Um, anybody? Chiefs, Eagles? Is that true for anybody? Are you? <laughs> nice, nice. Thank you, Luke. Come on. Uh, and Bruce, it's good to see you. Thank you for the shout out. Now I know when I'm praying for someone that I'm sitting next to on the plane, Bruce is also praying for the person I'm sitting next to on the plane. Maybe a slightly different prayer, but we're praying. Uh, but but what I love, what I love about football, it's a team sport. It's a team sport. I, I didn't play tennis in high school. I didn't play golf. I played basketball and volleyball. I love team sports. And so around here, you might have seen as you walked in the donuts in the lower lobby as you walked in, or maybe an opportunity to jump in on a serve team around here. So for us, there is a joy of doing things as a team. This Christian life wasn't meant to be lived alone. And so serve teams, life groups, it's an opportunity to affirm this reality. The journey of ongoing spiritual transformation is a team sport. We no longer fight sin alone. We fight for our joy and others' joy together. It is the joy of growing together. And you might not see the arrow as fully. So for me, it is an ongoing journey till the day we die, growing and being formed each day, each week. So I don't know exactly where life finds you today, what you might be bringing in, whatever challenges, hurts, circumstances. Uh, I'm thankful. I'm thankful that we get to gather on Sundays and celebrate this reality. Hopefully, we're not fighting this journey alone. And so if you're new around here, we just open the Bible. We try and hear what God is saying to us through his word. And so we've been in Luke. And so I want to do just a brief review of where we've been. Uh, not every week do we do this, but I hope from time to time just try and review where we've been. And so last semester, we took our time to just explore the entrance of the king. That this, this King Jesus is like no one else. Through angelic prophecies, miraculous births, um, it, it's a beautiful thing. We get to see 12-year-old Jesus in the temple. And then Tyler shared uh, about the baptism and genealogy and how Luke arranges it to show us Jesus is the God-man. And then now we've entered this teaching of the king where we saw Jesus overcome Satan, uh, battling temptations, and then begins his ministry. And he declares from the get-go, salvation is here because Jesus is here. He says, I am the solution to your sin problem. And, and here's the challenge we observed, as Luke observes, many miss it. He records Nazareth and he report, records Capernaum. People in Nazareth uh, are, are offended by his message that it's now inclusive for the Gentiles and then in Capernaum, people miss it. They want his miracles over his message. Maybe for us, we think circumstantially, if God would just heal my circumstances, then I could believe in him. And yet many miss for those two reasons. But he also included this beautiful reality. Some find him. And we saw that beautiful story of Peter letting down his nets. <laughs> Peter let down your nets and Jesus brings in the fish. So Jesus begins building his team. We see the calling of Peter, and last week we saw the calling of Levi. And we've also seen this other party emerge through Luke's gospel. 
It's not without opposition. <laughs> and we see these religious leaders growing in their opposition. Luke is helping draw that to our attention. And so we saw that in the healing of the paralytic. And when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and Pharisees began to question, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Last week, Levi makes a great feast and invites sinners and tax collectors to his table. And the Pharisees and scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And so this morning... We're just continuing that thread. In other Gospels, this text is situated later, more chronologically. Luke is going to tell us in his recording, he's tying it together, and they said to him. So trying to tell us in his mind, there's this opposition with Pharisees. So let me read the text. We're in Luke 5 this morning as we just continue this thread of opposition towards Jesus by these religious leaders. And they said to him, The disciples of John fast often and offer prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. And Jesus said to them, can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. He also told them a parable. No one tears a a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, it will tear in the new, and the piece from the new will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst, and the skins, burst the skins, and it will be spilled, and the skins will be destroyed. But the new wine must be put into fresh wineskins, and no one, after drinking old wine, desires new, for he says, the old is good. So here's, here's where I think we're headed this morning. Jesus engages the Pharisees regarding fasting, regarding this specific issue they're raising to reveal something, to reveal the absolute necessity of genuine faith alone if we're to experience the forgiveness of sins he offers. So he's going to take this point that they're raising about fasting to try and make a different point, a point about the necessity of genuine faith alone if we're to experience the forgiveness of sins that he offers. So pray with me and we will, we will dig in this morning. God, you are so good. Thank you for who you are, your word, the fact that we get to gather week in, week out, and declare our hope and our joy in you. And so uh, as we take another step into uh, this gospel that Luke recorded, um, that you inspired him to write, may we hear from you. May we hear your words and, uh, and your truth for our life this week. Always for your glory, we pray. Amen. Amen. So he- here's the flow As we enter in this morning, buckle up, the accusation, Pharisees make this accusation, you and your followers are not living like you love God. And then Jesus is going to take that, turn it, and give them this reveal, don't ever confuse spiritual disciplines and religious practices as pious behavior and pious behaviors with genuine faith. And then he's going to give us three illustrations where his teaching and he himself are the new wine coming into the world but some can't even try the new, let alone enjoy it. So let's start with the Pharisee's accusation. Here's where he starts. They're going to encounter him, take it one more layer deep, and they're going to say, Jesus, you and your followers are not living like you love God. And they said to him, the disciples of John fast and offer prayers. And so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours, your disciples, Jesus, they eat and drink. Well, what's he saying in that accusation? 
What was it about fasting that was so important? So for them, this practice is something that was part of the culture. They would fast for various reasons, mostly as mourning, mostly as a somber reflection of the hurt, pain, sin that existed to persuade God to spare them from calamity, whether, they're in, whether there's an invading, uh, an invading empire, or God, would you liberate us from our trouble? And a fast as a, a, a hope that God would answer, a, a declaration of, of confidence in their promise, all under this broader banner of this mournful attitude of pleading for God's aid. And then what do they say in response? They say, Jesus, your disciples don't practice this. So if we tried to get in their mindset, what, what are they essentially saying? Best Best drawing, here's, I mean, are you ready for this incredible drawing? Best drawing, here's the mindset. Those that love God practice this stuff. Those that don't love God, bad people, don't practice this stuff, right? Non-Jewish people, not part of the promised family, they don't practice this stuff. Bad. And so he's looking, they're looking at Jesus going, Jesus, you're not practicing this stuff. What, what's, what's wrong with you? You're not doing the right thing. And not only did they practice, but the Pharisees took it one step further. Well, if, if we're supposed to fast, we're going to fast weekly, not commanded. There's no law requiring this, and yet they would build hedges to say, we're just going to practice this stuff better. So if this is good, this is how we show we love God. We're going to show we love God even more by practicing Mondays and Thursdays and fasting. And so they're accusing Jesus, you and your followers are not living like you love God. And we love Jesus. What does he do? He, he takes it, and then he turns it on him. He says, don't ever confuse spiritual disciplines, religious practices, and pious behaviors with genuine faith. <laughs> You're practicing these things, but, but, but don't confuse the practices for what genuine faith is. Here's how Jesus does that. The disciples of John fast and offer prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. And Jesus said, to them, can you make a wedding guest fast while the bridegroom is with them? Now, how would you put that in modern language? What, what would you guys say is Jesus' response? Welcome to second service. I thought you guys got like a little extra time sleeping this morning. I, I mean, wide awake. What, what would be a modern way to say that? Here is my attempt. You can determine if that idea that popped in your head equates with this. Jesus said to them, can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? Man, it's time to party. Je Jesus is here. He is the bridegroom. He has arrived. All these sacrificial systems are now pointing to this guy. He's here. And, and so th this is the phrase that strikes me. His team, Jesus' team, Jesus' kingdom is so overwhelmingly wonderful that we happily give up everything else this world has to offer to follow him. Peter leaves everything to follow him. We saw last week, Levi leaves everything to follow him. A change in his heart, a change in the stuff of his backpack. Now it's not just me. I sit on the throne of my heart. Now it's his. Everything now is seen through that grid, and it's wonderfully happy news. But the Pharisees seem to be responding in this way. The opponents, the religious leaders, seem suspicious of joy. Is religion really supposed to make you happy? I mean, I know religious people. 
They're just not all that excited about life. Instead, happiness gets in the way of religious, dutiful, obligatory following. That's the Pharisees. Confusing spiritual disciplines for the essence of this thing that Jesus is coming to bring. He said, it's time to party. Why would my disciples fast and mourn and throw ashes on their head when the bridegroom is here? Instead, we celebrate. Those that follow Jesus do this happily. And then Jesus does add a phrase. He says, there is coming a time when people will mourn. Jesus said to them, can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. What's he doing? I just imagine guys reflecting after Jesus' resurrection, looking back on the stories he told. All the way back at this time, Jesus is already alluding to him going away. He's already alluding to his need to go to the cross. The days will come when Jesus will go to the cross and his followers will fast, will mourn. There is coming a time for grieving. When is that? You guys familiar with uh, some of the Jewish fasts? Yom Kippur, does that mean anything? The Day of Atonement. So the Day of Atonement was a national fast for recognizing sin and cleaning the temple. The author of Hebrews does something beautiful where he takes the Day of Atonement and all the sacrificial systems and says... That was pointing to Jesus. There is coming a time when the the followers of Christ will mourn in reference to his coming death and what actually took place. Here's how the author of Hebrews speaks to that. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from the dead works to serve the living God? There is coming a time when Jesus' followers, and Jesus alluded to his death, the one that the author of Hebrews picks up from Leviticus. And so what does that mean? It's not that now fasting isn't something we shouldn't partake in, but everything is new. Now we celebrate, not mourn, because the Messiah has died, has risen, and now finding Jesus is not a temporary celebration, but rather this eternal movement towards increased joy. (laughs) We look back and we may fast, it's no longer required, but we may fast as a reflection of that hope for his provision. There's an accusation. You and your followers are not living like you love God. Jesus turns it and says, don't ever confuse spiritual disciplines, religious practices, and pious behaviors with genuine faith. And then now he's going to give three illustrations of what he's bringing. Jesus and his teachings are the new wine coming into the world, but sometimes you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Sometimes some can't even try the new, let alone enjoy it. And he gives three illustrations. And I love how Jesus tells parables. He tells just earthly stories. 
He, he invades our life with everyday common situations that have profound spiritual meaning. Here's what he says. He begins to tell them a parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment. Sorry, there's the three illustrations. New and old garments, new, new wine, old wineskins, and old and new wine. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. We just intuitively know what's going to happen. It's going to stretch the old garment, tear away. It's going to be mismatched. We just intuitively understand that. If he does, he'll tear the new, and the piece from the new will not match the old. No one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins, and it will be spilled, and the skins will be destroyed. We don't want to waste good wine, and we just intuitively know, like, it ferments and expands, and so if you put it in an old container that's already been stretched, it's not going to work. It's, if you try and fit it in, it's going to burst and spill. But new wine must be put in the fresh wineskins, and no one, after drinking old wine, man, sometimes our old practices get in the way. Changing paradigms is hard. <laughs> Trying to shift the way you see the world is hard. And so it's hard to teach old dog new tricks. Why? Sometimes our pride for doing something the same way for 40 years of faith and then being re, re, putting new wine is hard. And no one after drinking old wine desires new, for he says, the old is good. I'm content with the way I've done it. Don't ask me to change and do something new. And what does Jesus do? He addresses their mindset. Fasting is good. Not fasting, bad. We Pharisees, we do it better than those people that aren't part of the Jewish nation. We just understand we do it better. Jesus then says, yeah, there still is that place where people are in need of a physician. I've come for those that are sinners. <laughs> but you Pharisees, there's also a category of where you're attempting to self-justify. That too is bad. There's a movement towards what Jesus is offering. And so I, I, for me, you guys trust that I try and put together pictures as best I can. Here's, here's my best attempt. Where, where do we fit on this journey? How am I convincing myself that I am righteous? Because our world is just filled with self-justification. If I can accuse someone of being worse than I am, I feel better about myself. If I can justify my behavior, but now it's still me sitting on the throne of my heart, if I can do the right behaviors, then I can justify myself. It's always the question, does Jesus sit on the throne of my heart? Does he justify me or am I justifying myself? And so here's my best attempt to try and put together five places we might find ourselves. Five places in this journey, whether we might find ourselves as hedge protectors, adding rules in order to protect ourselves from ever breaking those rules, a recovering Pharisee where we understand, but we still have some tendencies. Or maybe we just embrace cheap grace. <laughs> Jesus died on the cross, and, and I abuse that liberty of what it means to be found in him. And I just keep living that movement towards not fully valuing the grace that's been provided, the costly grace. So for me, when I, when I look at this, I feel like I find myself... I think I've shared a little bit of my story in the past, moving from this movement to a recovering Pharisee, 
So I grew up in Western evangelical culture. I, I grew up in our system, the church. It's a beautiful thing, well-intended, but I walked away learning that I was just better than everybody else. I, I, just, I just was good. So I, ha- I hung out with a few pagans in high school, loved them. They were just a ton of fun. But I also understood I was better than them because I had Jesus, and I followed the right rules that he laid out. Then I get to college, and I start hanging with a buddy named Juan. Juan was just as fun. Maybe someday we'll meet him, 300-pound Mexican guy. It was phenomenal. Sidebar. Sidebar. Do you guys want a sidebar, or should I keep going? Sidebar. sidebar. Okay, thank you. So, split decision. Did you feel it? It's just erupting in your heart. So when I, got, when, I got, when I got engaged, when I proposed to Casey, there's, a, there's an island called Balboa Island, and we had dinner at a nice restaurant, and we were walking around one way around the island, small island. I told Juan we were going to walk this way, so he's there to take pictures. Uh, but we ended up walking the other way. So he's hiding behind trees, thinking we're coming this way. Oh, it turns out we're coming this way. And so we're rounding the corner. Casey, Casey, <laughs> we're rounding the corner. Casey goes, is that Juan? I'm like, hard to mistake a 300-pound Mexican. I don't <laughs> I thinking, love Juan, right? And I'm like, what would Juan be doing on Balboa Island right now? And so Juan sneakily walked behind the trees, caught some great pictures of our engagement. It was, it was wonderful. But Juan, he just showed me Jesus. Just as fun, but he modeled for me something I didn't have. And I remember going to these evening worship sessions from time to time. And, and, and people would kind of use them as a fun event to attend, hang out with some girls, or go grab dinner with some friends. I would go by myself, and I'd just sit in the back, and I'd just weep, just broken by my own sin, because I was this recovering Pharisee that didn't realize the grace that had been shown. Instead, I was levying rules. On one side, Practicing Pharisees require my understanding of the rules to be applied to you and judge you if you don't meet my standard. The rules become better than Jesus himself, and the rules supersede the well-being of those around us. You might be coming from the other side, which I'm looking around, and I see this movement of progressive Christianity, and there's this movement from the other side where it's promoting openness and minimal boundaries in following Jesus. It, 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 it now creates a sense of there is no guidelines. And yet we understand Jesus' yoke is easy and his burden is light. There is a yoke, there is a burden, but he says it's easy and it's light because it's found in grace in him. All people go to heaven, right? Doesn't matter what ladder you're climbing. And we cheapen the costly grace under the guise of being more loving or being well and considering the well-being of others around us. We might be coming from the other side where we're abusing the liberty we have. I don't know where you find yourself, but there's the question. Where on this spectrum might you be in this journey? Because there's a warning from Jesus there's an accusation from the Pharisees, and Jesus returns their accusation with a warning. Might you find yourself like me, having come here from this recovering Pharisee? But maybe you've kept going. <laughs> and now you've cheapened the grace that you've experienced. 
Or maybe you came to faith later in life and there was, there was a freedom found in Christ. He is the living water. And out of that background, maybe kept going and started adding rules because you saw how big of a life change you experienced and you desperately wanted it for other people and began setting up rules intended for their good but actually diminishing grace. We're always trying to find that line, not light on sin, not light on grace, (laughs) and navigating that. Where where we come to faith and we go, God has been so generous to us. We want to give. And maybe it turns into, so you need to give this amount and you just need to do it. I don't care where your heart is. You just got to suck it up and do it. Maybe there was freshness and life found from, from, uh, from, from sexual healing. And there's just this, this sense of, oh, man, there's freedom now. I found freedom in Christ. And yet condemnation and guilt whenever I don't meet a perfect standard instead of experiencing freedom in Christ. Maybe, maybe you look around and and you go, cheap grace. What's the big deal, David? What's the problem? Why why you got to put so many boundaries? Why are you trying to shackle people? Isn't love just love? Where do you find yourself on that spectrum, and what does it continue to mean to move towards this healthy Christian perspective? Here's a couple encouragements this week. What would that look like? And you're like, man, are we finishing early? Not quite. Buckle up for a few more minutes. <laughs> Some of you got really excited. You're like, oh, man, the takeaway's already. Warning, right? I can't help but feel the warning in this text. I was reading this text this week. When we equate religious practices with genuine faith, it has devastating consequences. It starts to promote this sense of self-justification and assurance before God that I've somehow earned my standing before him. And I think it presents a poor picture of the gospel for those that have yet to treasure Christ. When they look around the church, do they see happy Christians? Do they see some that have such a security? Now, hear me say, I'm not naive to the challenges and difficulties of life, right? But here's the freedom. It's actually freeing (laughs) to find security and confidence in God and has an impact on the way we live. And sometimes, are we presenting that picture, the best picture to those that have yet to treasure Christ? The other warning that I think is implied? You swing so far to one extreme, you begin wondering, are the spiritual disciplines of any value at all? Don't throw away genuine faith-increasing spiritual disciplines just because they aren't the same thing as faith. Jesus put new wine into new wineskins. He wasn't trying to patch Judaism. He wasn't just trying to add some new laws to Judaism. He said, faith and faith alone in me. Now, might you still fast? Yes. 
not in mourning, but in a recognition that Jesus provides more joy than that food, that next cheeseburger, that next piece of pie can. And so we fast as a reflection of provision in him. Might we embrace the Sabbath? And if I'm overwhelmed with anxiety or depression, what would it mean to rest like a Christian and rest in him? Not observing the Sabbath as a dutiful, obligatory rule, but rather as a beautiful reflection of finding rest in him. Don't throw away genuine faith-increasing spiritual disciplines just because they aren't the same thing as faith. And then I'm going to invite the worship team up. And, uh, and this last one. So this week, we celebrate Jesus, our treasure, the Messiah who came. We fast, not as those who are looking forward to a coming Messiah, but we look back on what was accomplished. And, and, and we celebrate that reality of what took place. The Messiah has come. Joy now and even more to come. And so I want to read a prayer over you. So I'm, I paraphrased a few notes from a commentary and, and tried to contextualize it to us. So I want to pray this over us and, uh, and keep your eyes open if you'd like to read along with me. But here's the prayer, the prayer for us this week. Hmm. Jesus, cure the lurking Pharisee and scribe in us all. We might be surprised at how easily our hearts slide in this direction, but worship that pleases you has a very different character. May we reflect God-pleasing worship, emphasizing our joy, not merely our duty. Free us to serve the Son rather than to attempt our own righteousness by the law. And free us to do good and save life in the midst of our everyday. It's an act of worship. Christ Jesus, thank you for coming to save sinners so that we might truly worship. You are the Lord of worship. Tell us what pleases you. God, help me to listen closely to your teachings so they reshape and renew me to know your truth in whatever you invite me into today. Amen.